0: That exactly goes to show you what the DNC and what the Clinton camp will do. They will lie and do anything to win. Oh, Donnie Jr. Like father, like son. Am I right?
1: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. One reason. I got the feeling
0: that something right. You know ain't. I mean? I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs to the left to, me. to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you yep yes i'm stuck from pacifica in radio in los angeles this is the bradcast as heard on kpfk 90.7 FM, fm in la up in oregon so on 91.7 fm kyaq on the central coast 106.7, 106.7 fm queso in cottage grove FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR in Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe. On the internets every day on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me. Me too. Thank you from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling action-packed adventure. Of course, that voice you heard was Desi (laughs) Doyen. You will be back with us later for the long-awaited return of the Green News Report.
1: Just you wait.
0: Just I will wait. Uh, After uh, a week or so off for the holiday, it'll be good to get uh, get back to the Green News Report. I'm sure there is nothing at all to report in this week's episode.
1: Nothing happened.
0: (sighs) As we continue to swelter out west, record heat.
1: Another record heat wave, third in a row.
0: But don't pay attention to us. We've only been telling you. We've only been warning you about this for eight, nine years now on the Green News Report. Pay us no mind. Pay Desi Doyen
1: <laughs> hey, no
0: mind. Um, uh, got a bunch of stuff I want to get to here before we get to our guest, who I'm very excited to talk about, uh, talk with momentarily. Um, but, uh, of course, you, I'm sure, have heard by now the news about Donald Trump Jr., Uh, And uh, this uh, meeting he had with a uh, Russian lawyer last, what was it, last June uh, at at the uh, Trump Tower in New York after he was told that she was going to have some sort of dirt about the Hillary Clinton campaign. And now he's released the emails showing how he was told by a friend or a business associate uh, about this woman, about this attorney, et cetera, et cetera. Now, Uh, I know a lot of folks out there have questions about what Democrats have been claiming about this collusion, so-called collusion between the Trump campaign uh, and Russia. I have similar questions uh, regarding the lack of actual hard evidence to support that. But in all of these cases, um, no matter what you think, no matter what Donald Trump thinks about this investigation by the special counsel, he still has to follow the rule of law. Donnie Jr. has to follow the rule of law. So when when Donald Trump, for example, fired the FBI director, James Comey, again, no matter what he thinks about that investigation into uh, Russia and whether there's anything behind it, he still cannot obstruct justice if that's in fact what he was doing when he fired James Comey. Similarly, No matter what you think about uh, the Russia investigation, uh, Don Jr. here, Donald Trump Jr., seems to have put himself into legal danger uh, with this meeting that he had with this Russian lawyer. Again, no matter what came out of it, no matter why it happened, uh, as uh, Politico uh, reports, uh, Donald Trump Jr. is in a legal danger zone following his acknowledgment that he met during the heat of the 2016 presidential campaign with a Russian lawyer, who, uh, he was told, according to the emails he released on Tuesday, was tied in some fashion to the Kremlin. According to those emails, the lawyer wanted to deliver damaging information about Hillary Clinton's ties to Russia. Okay, that in and of itself is not illegal, but if she was Russian, if she was not American, if she was working as a foreign agent, all of a sudden we're in a completely different territory. Again, no matter what that information was. Democratic and Republican lawyers and political operatives alike say that explanations about that June 2016 meeting uh, from uh, President Donald Trump's oldest son are way out of step with common campaign practices. When dealing with offers for opposition research, but more important, his statements may put him in uh, the legal crosshairs for violating federal campaign statutes, prohibiting solicitation or acceptance of anything of value from a foreign national. By discussing such a sensitive topic that could prove embarrassing if revealed, uh, Donald Trump Jr. and other Trump campaign officials in the room for that meeting With Russian attorney Natalia Veselnitskaya, uh, including Jared Kushner, Paul Manafort, they may have exposed themselves to, among other things, future blackmail threats, according to legal experts, particularly if they kept that meeting a secret, as they did until only recently. But they also may be in violation of actual uh, campaign law. Now, uh, Donald Trump Jr. has hired a criminal defense attorney here uh, on Monday um, the, uh, as the president's son sought to quell the political firestorm by criticizing media coverage about it. Uh, his attorney shot back uh, at the media and said that this was all much ado about nothing, that the bottom line is Trump Jr. did nothing wrong, but legal experts from both parties say that might not fly. For example, Robert Bauer, the former White House counsel under uh, Barack Obama and the Democrats' 2008 campaign attorney, said if they accept the meeting on the understanding that they will be offered something of value, the opposition research in this case, they are sending a clear signal that they would like to have it. And that means... Uh, It has to be reported. It has to be paid for. It is something of value. Bauer added that accepting a meeting where there's an understanding of purpose raises a question under the federal campaign finance law for which Donald Trump could be held accountable. I think specifically they're looking at the Federal Elections Campaign Act, which may have been violated here. Larry Noble of the Campaign Legal Center told the Washington Post that anyone soliciting a foreign contribution is violating the law. And that includes opposition research, such as what was embraced by Trump Jr. One legal bar, he said, is whether someone provides substantial assistance to obtaining something of value from a foreign national. Given the emails that have been now released, Noble said, I think that's a substantial assistance. So, um, everyone else is talking about this today, so I don't need to go into detail but this is, for now, but this is Republicans and Democrats alike saying that this, no, this was not usual. This is not normal. I'll give you just one more example here. Terry Sullivan, the former campaign manager for Senator Marco Rubio, Republican, his uh, 2016 GOP primary campaign, Um, He posted on Monday that uh, running Marco Rubio's campaign, lots of random people asked to meet to share secret opposition research. I was just never dumb enough to meet with them. And then he adds hashtag. But we lost. So maybe, maybe there's a good reason. Uh, that the uh, team Trump needed to uh, meet with these folks, I don't know, but uh, that's from a Republican. You also uh, obviously had uh, Democrats, a uh, Clinton's campaign manager, um, and others uh, talking about this, uh, saying that you know, aside from whether this is considered to be collusion or not, and aside from. You know, the supposed timelines about hacking of emails and so forth. Just these act, just this act, much as, you know, the act of firing James Comey may be obstruction of justice. This act of meeting with a foreign agent may be a violation of the federal uh, election laws. So uh, keep your eye on that. I think you won't be able to help keeping your eye on that, given the fact that so many people are talking about this. Therefore, we don't need to for now. But please do keep your eye on a number of other balls that are in the air that the Trump administration and the Republicans are still trying to pull off. In Congress, for example, they are still trying to remove health care from millions in exchange for massive tax cuts to the rich. Keep your eye on this. John Cornyn, senator from Texas, the second highest ranking Republican in the Senate, went on Fox News on Monday afternoon to say with confidence that a vote to repeal the Affordable Care Act will happen next week. He said we'll turn to it perhaps as early as Tuesday or Wednesday. It's important that we get this done and get it done soon. Next week is my expectation.
1: They're going to move quick while all, everybody else is distracted,
0: says John Cornyn. Now, uh, you know, you take take that for what it's worth. He also said that there was going to be a vote before the July 4th recess. And obviously that never happened because they couldn't get the votes. That may not happen again. As a matter of fact, I would say it's likely to not happen again, but I would not count on it. This is moving forward. The uh, John Cornyn, the, the second highest ranking Republican in the Senate, says this is going to happen and it needs to happen now as soon as next week. Um, whether that happens or not is uh, in, in question, to say the least, uh, because uh, Senator uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell now says he's going to keep the Senate in session the first two weeks of August, which smells to me like he doesn't think health care is going to be happening in the next few days. But who knows? Maybe he's going to keep people here. They usually take the entire month of August off. Nice work if you can get it. But in this case, Uh, They're not going to, apparently. According to Mitch McConnell, he said uh, during an announcement uh, at a uh, party lunch on Tuesday that they are not going to take a recess until the third week of August. In a statement soon after that lunch, uh, McConnell said he wants to take up the annual defense authorization measure and address a backlog of nominations that he said have been mindlessly stalled by Democrats. That, despite the fact... That there is no more uh, filibuster for uh, these uh, nominations, but it's all right. Blame the Democrats if you want. Whatever. Um, But that uh, they're mostly facing a daunting to-do list that includes repealing Obamacare and raising the debt limit. Now, raising the debt limit, that shouldn't take long. All you got to do is vote for it and it's done. But in the modern era, the Republicans uh you know like to attach all sorts of things to the debt limit um so we'll see what happens right you know rather than just agreeing to pay for the bills that we have already racked up Um, but i believe that this is about obamacare and this is about tax cuts which they are also hoping to do before the august recess the now stalled now delayed august recess Dan Sullivan, senator from Alaska, said at a news conference today, if we're working three days a week, which is what we do, we're not going to get it done. Senator David Perdue, the Republican from Georgia uh, who had spearheaded this effort to delay the August recess, says this is much deeper than uh, just health care. We need to get tax reform and they need to get it done now. And they are going to get it done now. That's what you are. uh, That's what we are looking for. So keep your eyes on that ball. Uh, And aside from taking away your uh, your health care, they also hope to take away your voting rights, as has become quite apparent via the so-called presidential election integrity commission set up by Donald Trump and headed up by uh, Mike Pence and voter fraud fraudster Chris Kobach. Uh, He sent, as you know, a recent uh, letter to all 50 states seeking the voter registration records and voting uh, histories and partisan affiliations and Social Security numbers of hundreds of millions of American voters, and it is already working to suppress votes. This from a, um, a Republican supervisor of elections in Seminole County. Uh, Florida, Michael Ertel. Uh, he posted this on his uh, Facebook page after that letter went out uh, on behalf of the so-called Presidential Election Integrity Commission. He said, "I've spent the past several days on the phone with voters, convincing them to remain registered to vote. In my 12 years of office, I've never had to. I've never had to have this many of these conversations. Please don't let an action or policy you disagree with have the effect of silencing." your most powerful tool to change or affirm it, your vote. So many before us, he he writes, fought in the fields of battle, politics, government, and beyond to ensure this far into our nation's future that we would still have the privilege of choosing our government by casting our vote. Fortunately, he said, no one I have spoken with has followed through to cancel their registration. But if you know someone who is contemplating removing themselves from the voter rolls, please have them call me directly, and he gives his phone number, or on my after-hours cell phone, and he gives his phone number. That's how concerned he is that people are now self-deregistering from the rolls in the wake of uh, what Chris Kobach is doing and concerns that their information will be made public. And it's not just because, by the way, Chris Kobach said this information will be made public. It's not just Florida. The Colorado Independent reports uh, that in the office of uh, Boulder's election division, workers were were keeping a tally on sticky notes when voters started calling to cancel their registrations or to become so-called confidential voters. Since Monday, this this article was published last Friday, according to official counts, the office has seen 270 of its voters cancel their registration. About 70 have asked for confidential status in which they sign an affidavit saying they feel their safety is at risk. So that information, the voter rolls, which are otherwise can be public information, they will be kept from being released to the public. Corey Hutchins at the Independent says this is a seismic boom for an office that typically sees just a handful of such asks each week. If that, according to an elections division spokesperson, Colorado is a state where its top election manager, uh, Republican Secretary of State Wayne Williams, has welcomed this federal voter fraud task force and their request for uh, voter data including uh, names, addresses, birth year, party affiliation of all of of Colorado's 3.7 million voters. There is confusion. There's hysteria, says Amber McReynolds. She's the director of elections in Denver. She says in the past week, her office has been flooded with calls and foot traffic. Denver has seen a 2,150 percent increase in voters canceling their registration in recent days. Same is happening in other counties around Colorado as well. Uh, she told McReynolds, told the, uh, the Independent that in over 12 years of administering elections, I never expected to see a day in the office where we would have more withdrawals than new registrations. She says uh, she responds to each one of these people who contact her, asking her to be removed from the rolls immediately. She contacts each one with a message that she doesn't want to uh, lose them as voters. If you deregister, she says, they win. Well, at least 44 states have now so far refused to turn over some or all of that information. Uh, Colorado Secretary of State uh, Wayne Williams is not one of them who has refused. He says he will turn over much of it. But with the Kobach-Pence Commission taking this unprecedented step, as it already has, uh, leading to voters... Voter suppression just by, you know, voters removing themselves from the rolls. You would think that the commission itself, as much of a pretext as it may be for voter suppression, with claims of millions of illegal voters casting votes in, in last year's presidential election, you would think that the commission itself would at least follow the rule of law. But it turns out Not so much. They appear to be violating one federal law after another in their quest. At least four different legal complaints now have been filed over the past week against the commission. We'll have an attorney from one of the groups now suing in hopes of forcing Trump's presidential commission to follow the law. That's next up on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away.
1: Yes, who? who
0: Chris Kobach really wants to know who you are and your birth date and your social security number and all the rest. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Uh, according to our friend Mark Joseph Stern over at Slate on Monday, Donald Trump's so-called Election Integrity Commission paused its collection of voter data in response to the latest in a series of lawsuits and complaints, a torrent now, in fact, alleging the controversial task force is breaking the law. That's right. The task force itself is breaking the law, according to all of these complaints. The commission, which is led by Vice President Mike Pence, And Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach recently asked every state for an immense amount of sensitive voter information, including not only names, addresses and birth dates, but also Social Security numbers, military status, etc. Stuff that would make identity theft, among other things, incredibly easy. Uh, In its rush to get that data from all 50 states, it seems the commission has ignored any number of statutes and agency rules, uh, writes Stern, an oversight that could ultimately prevent the group from getting its hands on any of the information that it wants. Monday's abrupt halt in data collection is, according to Stern, a direct response to a lawsuit filed by the Electronic Privacy Information Center, or EPIC. EPIC alleges that the commission is violating the E-Government Act of 2002, which requires federal agencies to establish adequate data protections before collecting personal information using information technology specifically an agent must prepare and publish uh, i'm sorry an agency must prepare and publish a privacy impact assessment that explains its methodology outlines how it would secure its data and state whether the data would be disclosed to others Epic claims that the Pence-Kobach Commission has ignored this safeguard while storing voter records on an unsecured system that is not designed to protect personal data. By doing so, Epic insists the commission has run afoul of federal law and they have urged a federal judge to block the commission from gathering any more data until it complies with the E-Government Act. They have now, the commission has now voluntarily ceased at the moment until the uh, uh, the judge in that case renders a decision on that request. But that's not all. Last Monday, Wendy Weiser of the Brennan Center for Justice and Larry Schwartzall of United to Protect Democracy sent a complaint to the Office of Management and Budget alleging that the commission is violating the Paperwork Reduction Act of 1980. Under the PRA, a federal agency must follow certain procedures uh, before sending an information request to more than 10 people. In this case, he sent it to, well, about 50 states. In particular, the the agency must explain why it's asking for the data regarding the public, weigh the benefits and burdens of its request, articulate its plan for conducting the request and storing information, and give public notice of its intention as well as accept commentary from the public. That process can take months, but at no point has the Pence-Kobach Commission even gestured toward that compliance with the PRA, says Stern. But that is not all either. The ACLU and the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law have both now filed separate suits against Pence, uh, against the Pence-Kobach Commission uh, on Monday, arguing that the task force is also violating the Federal Advisory Committee Act. What is the Federal Advisory Committee Act, or the FACA? And why would Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach, who is an attorney, and has made a career out of fraudulently claiming massive violations of law all across the country in what he describes as a voter fraud epidemic, why would he fail to follow basic laws like the E-Government Act, the Paperwork Reduction Act, and the Federal Advisory Committee Act? After all, as uh, the only Secretary of State in the nation granted prosecutorial powers— Kobach has thrown the book at a handful of Americans who voted in two different states, believing they were allowed to, or who were non-citizens when they accidentally registered to vote, believing they were allowed to do so. If he's going to prosecute others for relatively small violations of law, largely committed accidentally or without these folks fully understanding the law of the land... Shouldn't he understand the laws of the land before attempting to collect private data on millions of Americans, especially since he's working on behalf of the presidency of the United States for a president who has claimed without evidence that anywhere from three to five million non-citizens illegally voted last year? a charge, by the way, that Kobach appears to agree with. And why is he doing all of this anyway? What does he hope to accomplish, even if he can figure out how to accomplish it without violating one federal law after another? Here to help us understand some of those questions in this uh, entire fine mess is Teresa Lee. She's a staff attorney with the ACLU's Voting Rights Project, which was established in 1965 to work to protect the gains in political participation won by racial and language minorities following the passage of the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Teresa litigates voting rights cases throughout the country, which means she is plenty busy these days working on current challenges to voter registration, purge processes, discriminatory voter ID and registration requirements and partisan gerrymandering, some of which uh, has been... um, (laughs) attempted and otherwise pulled off by Chris Kobach himself who has faced the ACLU in some of these challenges. Uh, In any event, Teresa Lee, welcome to the Bradcast.
2: Uh, Thanks so much for having me, Brad. Happy to be with you.
0: Great to have you. All right, well, let's start with uh, with your complaint, or I should say your latest complaint against uh, uh, Kobach. Uh, And the ACLU has so far won a lot of those cases against Kobach, I, I think four different times concerning his proof of citizenship Uh, requirement in Kansas. But this latest suit against him uh, and the so-called Presidential Election Integrity Commission, uh, what is the Federal Advisory Committee Act that the ACLU is uh, uh, now charging that Kobach and the commission have violated?
2: So the Federal Advisory Committee Act is a law that was designed largely to ensure public accountability. What are these Uh, advisory committees doing, how are they doing it? Mm -hmm. Uh, Courts have described the act as opening up to public scrutiny, the manner in which the government is seeking advice from potentially private individuals and basically anyone who's not an employee of the federal government.
0: So these are, this is not uh, specific to, uh, to, to voting or voting rights necessarily, but this is really any sort of committee or commission that is set up uh, by the federal government or certainly in this case by the, uh, by the executive office, by the president?
2: Correct. And so it, it could p- apply to any topic mm-hmm. whatsoever. If it's any committee of any kind established or utilized by, in this case, the president, it might be an agency head in some other case that was created in the interest of obtaining advice or recommendations for the president and that's the way that the uh... the so-called integrity uh... election integrity commission was styled uh, I would suggest that it was uh, created really to sell President Trump's lie that he won the 2016 popular vote and isn't actually interested <laughs> in advice or recommendations, um, but is more interested just in legitimizing that claim.
0: Well, we'll get to uh, we'll get to some of those points in a, in a moment. But I'm trying to figure out so this Federal Advisory Commission Act. How did they specifically violate uh, this act? What would what would they be required to do under this act that they have not?
2: Sure. So there's, there's two main provisions that we're um, seeking to to enforce in our complaint. Um, the first of which uh, deals with the composition mm-hmm. of advisory committees, um, and that's Section 5 of the Act. And it requires that in creating them, the, the appointing authority, in this case President Trump, takes steps that they be fairly balanced and also ensures that there's provisions uh, that will... Uh, ensure that uh, the decisions that they make, the advice they give, isn't influenced by the appointing authority or by any special interest, but rather as the result of the research and judgment of the committee, um, independent of the appointing authority.
0: And, 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 this, th- and this, before you get to that second provision, sure. this this uh, commission, I believe, is made up supposedly supposed to have fifteen members. Uh, Republicans and Democrats. Uh, does does this commission have any such balance, uh, f- fairly balanced, in terms of the points of view represented here? Could it in any way be seen as having that balance? And, and by the way, how would you determine that under law in, in any event?
2: Uh, so the balance is supposed to be balanced in terms of point of view and mm-hmm. also the functions that the, the committee is going to perform. And so uh, one way of balance could be, uh, partisan affiliation. There, there are some Democrats on the, on the committee to be sure. Um, I believe there's 11 appointed members at this point. There was a 12th, but he, uh, was a, a deputy secretary of state from Maryland. While secretaries of state in many offices do have election responsibilities, in Maryland they do not. So, uh, on Monday, July 3rd, that commission member, uh, resigned from, mm. from, from the commission, I think, realizing uh, that this was a mess he didn't want to be involved in, considering he didn't have any election expertise. As it stands, um, at least four of the original six appointees have long records of exaggerated claims of, of voter fraud, exaggerated claims of supporting the president's assertion that he won the 2016 popular vote, and then... Just yesterday afternoon, there were two additional appointees to the commission. Uh, one being Jay Christian Adams, who was uh, mem- <laughs> who was a member of the Department of Justice Voting Rights Section during the um, politicized years under under President George W. Bush, mm-hmm. um, and that politicization was sort of well documented by by an internal investigation. There and so there's I mean
0: there's only two or no there was you said there was a second one who was appointed yesterday as well.
2: Yes, there was also um, a probate court judge from Alabama who was appointed, who um, is a Democrat. Uh, I think it would be fair to say that the Democrats that have been appointed to the committee, by and large, uh, particularly after the first two that were among the other secretaries of state, have been uh, for much smaller offices or and with much uh less election mm. experience there's uh two there's a county the a county clerk from wood county in west Virginia who's a democrat who um by by his by his own uh own, uh admission not mine uh stated that he um didn't know why he was appointed to the commission uh... he thought he was recommended by west virginia's republican secretary of state uh... because uh... the co-chairs were looking for a democratic county clerk and quote there's not a whole lot of those in west virginia <laughs> oh, another um, democratic appointee was previously a member of the arkansas house rep- of representatives um... he doesn't have any experience in administering elections uh, is now sort of a lobbyist and consultant, and upon his appointment, he stated, um, "I don't know why this has fallen on my shoulders. I'm just a very small old country boy from Arkansas in this bigger commission with Vice President Pence, and I'm just going to do the best I can." To wow. be honest, wow. And the, and and these are the the commission members, the Democrats that are are supposedly giving the point of balance to uh, Vice Chair uh, Kobach. Uh, Hans von Spakovsky um, and others who sort of have made their career out of uh, sort of pushing this myth of voter fraud and really trying to block Block access to the franchise. And that's really why I think in addition to the sort of the broad privacy concerns with mm-hmm. respect to the specific voting concerns, um, the, the composition of the commission is really what gives everyone pause. No one, I think everyone agrees that American elections actually do need to be secure, fair and transparent. But this commission certainly uh, isn't giving anyone confidence that that's going to be the case. Yeah,
0: you, you mentioned uh, Hans von Spakovsky, sort of the uh, the godfather of, uh, of you know the fraudulent voter fraud claims and the photo ID restrictions that were approved under the Bush administration, the George W. Bush administration. Uh, also, uh, not getting much attention here, but it seems like it should have. Jay Kenneth Blackwell. The uh, former Secretary of State of Ohio, who uh, during the 2004 election, a very controversial Secretary of State, made a lot of very controversial decisions uh, concerning who could vote and who could register and who couldn't uh, during the 2004 race. So, yeah, I mean, this is stacked with some absolute you know, voter fraud fraudster sharks, it seems to me. Uh, uh against a couple of Democrats uh, on the committee who who may be in this thing over their head you mentioned uh, Teresa Lee there was also a second provision of the federal elections uh, or what's it called Federal Advisory Committee act that uh, this uh, committee seems to be violating as well concerning uh, the privacy uh, uh, public meetings and so forth
2: uh yes regarding sort of these would be the public openness and transparency provisions they're in section 10 of the act mm-hmm. Um they, re- they require that all meetings mm-hmm. of the committee, including, notably including uh, electronic, video conference, teleconference meetings, need to be open to the public. Every meeting needs to be provided for with advanced notice published in the Federal Register. Uh, there must be an opportunity for public comment, either written or in person at all meetings. Uh, the committee must keep detailed minutes of every meeting, including all matters discussed and any conclusions reached. And there must be public access to all documents of the committee, including agendas for meetings, minutes from meetings. Um, And so it's really a broad public openness provisions because one of the main purposes of the act was public accountability. Of the idea that if the government is getting advice Mm -hmm. it should not be biased advice and the public should know what's going into it
0: have they done any of these public notices that they're supposed to do under the law
2: so they uh, so they already held a telephonic meeting on June 28th and based on the reports that have come out after that it's clear that they discussed issues of substance at that meeting so as to that meeting they've completely thrown the entire uh... federal advisory committee act out the window that was
0: telephonic that was not open to the public in any way shape or form as it should be under the f-a-c-a
2: correct and uh... no one even knew it was happening until it was announced after the fact (laughs) and as to the, there is a meeting. The second meeting of the of the commission is currently scheduled for next uh, Wednesday, mm-hmm. the nineteenth. Um, it was noticed in the Federal Register on uh, July fifth, which mm-hmm. is uh, only fourteen days notice. So. C- so close to what the regulations require, um, but they require 15 days notice, um, and they f- uh, filed a follow-up because ex- if a committee has to meet in ex- exceptional circumstances, they are allowed to mm-hmm. to publish um, their notice uh, uh, with with less than 15 days. Um, and apparently, they had forgotten that the Fourth of July was on July 4th, um, which prevented them. Mm from uh, making the 15-day deadline, so they published a revised notice indicating that the 4th of July was indeed that exceptional circumstance that made them not fall within the 15-day um, window.
0: You know what? If you were if you were a voter in Kansas and you made that mistake, uh, Chris Kobach would throw you in jail for it if he had the, you know, for these uh, tiny little provisions. How How is this, uh, Teresa Lee, how is this presidential committee uh, different than ones we have seen in the past. I mean, we have have the the past? We saw one was created after the 2000 election debacle. There was uh, one created uh, by uh, President Obama that was, you know, really a bipartisan commission, uh, following long lines and other disasters that occurred in 2012. Uh, there was even one after the 2004 race, although uh, with uh, headed by Jimmy Carter and and Jim Baker. Although that was put together by a private group, but even that. Had some semblance, I think, of bipartisanship. Is this commission, unlike those, unlike any that we've seen before, for something like this?
2: Yes, I would. I would say just the fact of the the co chairs not being uh, balanced in in party affiliation sets it completely apart from all all of the ones you mentioned. For exa- example, obviously Carter Baker was based out out of American University, but obviously. President Carter and then uh secretary Baker uh were a Democrat and a Republican, both highly highly respected uh men i think on all, on both sides of the aisle uh the the commi- uh commission in twenty twelve which is sort of much more on all fours with this one because that was a presidential commission as well um, was headed by Bob Bauer, mm-hmm. who had been counsel to the 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 obama elect uh mm-hmm. campaign and uh uh, I'm forgetting his first name, but uh, Ginsburg. Ginsburg, is, uh, Ben Ginsburg, uh, uh, yeah. Ben Ginsburg. I wanted to say Peter, and I knew it was wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, who is a longtime uh, Republican election lawyer and was counsel to Mitt Romney's campaign in in 2012. So they were sort of, sort of, completely, equally matched uh, co chairs. Um, and here you have uh, Vice President Pence, who um, sort of largely um, has been largely silent on on this uh, commission, and it really seems to be the Chris Kobach show. Yeah. Um, and then uh, uh, Secretary of State of Kansas Chris Kobach, r- you know, really the, the king of, the king of voter suppression, if you will. Yeah. And that alone, before we even, and I would continue to say the rest of the makeup of the commission mm-hmm. follows along the same lines as we've already discussed, but that leadership alone just shows you that this commission has no credibility. And really what it's aiming at is endorsing or legitimizing the claim regarding the popular vote and and really teeing up um, perhaps like a federal overhaul um, of laws aimed at suppressing the right to vote. And
0: that's what I want to ask you about. Well, and I just one thing you said that I can't uh, let slide by here. Uh, you said that uh, James Baker was uh, qualified and, and and respected. I'm going to have to disagree with that. In, in that uh, at the time that it happened, uh, I felt that anyone who actually went to the Supreme Court to get the court to stop counting the votes of America. as James Baker did back in 2000 in that election... Uh, should not be heading up a, a, an, an election, a voting rights a commission of any sort. That was just me, though. Uh, I have trouble letting those kind of things go, Teresa. The, Fair uh, enough. The, uh, so, is, A, is there any way to, uh, at this point, that this committee can be set right, if only under the law? And then, B, I want to ask you what the, what the real point of this uh, committee actually is, as you see it.
2: Well, I I think that uh, from the courts, we definitely will see the committee being forced to comply with the public openness provisions. The law is really clear here. What constitutes an advisory committee is clear. Um, It's any board, any commission established or utilized by the president. I don't think anyone could argue that either of those don't apply here. Um, in the interest of obtaining advice or recommendations for Mm -hmm. the president. And the executive order setting up this commission says specifically that uh, obtaining advice and recommendations submitted to the president in a report is exactly why this committee was created. So I think it fits the definition of an advisory committee under the FACA Mm -hmm. exactly. I don't think uh, you'll see courts uh, finding that it doesn't. And once if something's determined to be an advisory committee, it then needs to comply with um, these requirements. Can these requirements stop, at least as to the FACA? Um, uh, the EPIC lawsuit is obviously um, slowing at least the aims of collecting um, everyone's uh, voter information at mm-hmm. this point. Um, under the FACA, I don't think we can fully... Stop um, the commission From existing or Mm -hmm. disband it Like the Congress in enacting that law Has sort of recognized That agency heads and the president Can sort of convene This type of uh, Committee in order to give, uh, to do studies and give advice. Mm-hmm. Um, but importantly, the public needs to know what is going on with them.
0: Well, so what is going on with him? What's the real, I mean, we know that Donald Trump really doesn't understand any of this. He just sort of repeats whatever nonsense he hears about, you know, phony voter fraud claims on Fox News. But Chris Kobach is not dumb, I don't think. I believe he knows what he's doing. Correct me if I'm wrong there. So I think he knows what he's doing. So what's his game? What is he really trying to do here? And uh, and does this have something to do with the National Voter Registration Act, as some believe he's trying to undermine uh, with this commission, as you see it, Teresa?
2: Uh, yes, I would agree that uh, Secretary Kobach knows exactly what he's doing. And so I think the data request tells us a lot. The fact that they're trying to get data for every state in the country, and then uh, excuse me, uh, Vice President Pence spokesperson uh, mm-hmm. confirmed, I believe it was on July 5th, that the their plan, that they had already had made decisions, they had plans for this data already, that they intended um, to check it against uh, already existing federal mm-hmm. databases of, of different people's information. They haven't confirmed which databases they intend to use, mm-hmm. uh, but but they obviously are going to be comparing the the voter rolls against each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sort of speaks to uh, Chris Kobach finally getting his hands on the data for all of the states that are not part of his interstate cross-check system. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also against the federal databases.
0: And he, for people who don't know, the cross-check system is uh, a system that he oversees, uh, which a number of states participate in, where they supposedly compare... Uh, voter registrations to see if uh, people are registered in more than one state. The problem is they do apparently a terrible comparison and they put out something like 200 false positives for every One double voter that they actually find uh, according to one recent study so now he's going to get his hands on the federal uh, you know a lot more uh, databases federal databases I guess he wants to get the data of every voter what does he hope to accomplish here I mean they can't purge voters from the federal level, right That's done at the state level. So what would he be able to do uh, even if he has uh, gets his hands on all of that data and all of those databases?
2: So I think what he's trying to do is push the same narrative that he pushes uh, with crosscheck. They do not admit the huge problem with false positives uh, that study you referenced. Uh, showed that for um, list maintenance in one state that they reviewed 99.5 percent of the supposed matches were false positives. And so they plan to say that there are that many double voters and double registrants, when in fact they're matching John Smith, who really does live in Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. with John Smith, who really does live in Alabama. Uh, there, There simply are A number of people who do have the same names and birth dates. Uh, There are also other issues with sort of when you're matching across databases that aren't sort of of the same database, there's inconsistency in the way data is collected and formatted that can give you um, problems with false positives as well as sort of like other just sort of minor inaccuracies in, in data entry. And so what what CrossCheck has been used for is to push that same exact narrative Mm -hmm. um, that there's a plethora of double voting. And I think this data request is going to be used to push both that narrative and to the extent that they uh, use any uh, federal databases that contain uh, immigration information, Mm -hmm. it's going to be used to press the false narrative that non-citizens are voting.
0: And uh, I got just a minute or two here, uh, Teresa, if they have the access to all the databases that they want with Social Security numbers, with immigration status and so forth, uh, can't they do a lot more accurate cross-checking, so to speak, um, with with those records. And uh, I mean, we do have an issue where, you know, well, for example, people die and after they die, they don't bother. They don't have the courtesy to call the county clerk and tell them they are dead. So they remain on the list. People do move from state to state and, and they don't, you know, remove themselves from another state. Is is there any good any upside here? Uh, to helping to clean out the voter rolls that you know do have a lot of so-called deadwood on them, or is this just really a nefarious purpose to try to do things like undermine the National Voter Registration Act and the and, uh, uh, and the Voting Rights Act and so forth?
2: I think it's entirely. I agree with you that list maintenance is absolutely necessary and. States have list maintenance procedures, and the National Voter Registration Act contains protections such that eligible voters aren't removed. Mm -hmm. And I really think it's the fact that Secretary Kobach and other members of this commission seem to have no interest in that protection to keep the eligible voters on the roll. Mm Also notable here is when there was this, when there was this strong pushback uh, from all across the country, uh, Secretary Kobach uh, made a statement stressing that this was only the publicly available information that he wanted. So what were uh, sort of the other secretaries of state and election officials trying to hide? Well, the fact that he's willing to do this sort of mass checking with only the publicly available information underscores that this is not actually an effort. To clean roles, because with merely publicly available information, which should not include people's social security numbers, obviously, it's just mm-hmm. going to be absolutely rife with false positives. And Secretary Kobach, as as someone who runs uh, a cross-checking database, Mm -hmm. certainly knows that. As you said, he is not stupid.
0: Uh, Boy, I could talk to you, Teresa Lee, about this all day. Didn't even get Mm -hmm. to ask you about the proof of citizenship uh, battles you're you're winning one after another in court against Kobach in Kansas, or about the claims that he's violating the Hatch Act uh, in uh, running for governor of Kansas at the same time that he's running this commission. But I suspect uh, we will talk again, because uh, there's a lot to cover here and a lot to keep our eyes on as this moves forward and everybody's distracted with a whole bunch of noise. This one, I think, could potentially be really, really important. So I want to stay on it, and uh, I hope you won't mind if we uh, call you back, Teresa, and uh, in the future on this. And uh, just thank you to uh, you and the ACLU for Trying to, you know, keep your eyes on this uh, on this voting rights prize as we move forward with all of this other noise.
2: Definitely. Thanks so much for for having me on, Brad. And I and I hope we uh we sort of all continue to keep our eye on it because it it's just really critical to our democracy.
0: Teresa Lee, staff attorney at the ACLU Voting Rights Project. You can get more on them and the work that they do, of course, at ACLU.org. Thank you so much, Teresa. Thanks, Brad. Okay, a quick break, and we're back with the return of the Green News Report with Desi Doyen. You should stick around only for that, for her. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. no stopping the world, unfortunately. So we're, <laughs> we're stuck with the melting part.
1: Yeah, we are. Welcome sadly. back to
0: the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, all right, well, we're running late, so I guess we better get to it, right? Our latest Green News report.
1: G20 summit has ended in Germany with U.S. President Donald Trump isolated on the issue of climate change. The world moves forward on climate change as Trump retreats. Why don't we have a... a red team approach and, and, and let the scientists and listen to what they have to say about it. But that's exactly how science works. Trump administration announces red team effort to question climate science. Court rejects bid to roll back methane emission rules. Volvo to make every car model electric. Plus... Look, it's up to you and it's up to me and tens of millions of other people. California's green governor trumps Trump with Global Climate Summit.
0: All of that Trump-trumping and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And
1: I'm Desi Doyan.
0: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis and snarky comment. Trump's presidency is basically like global Warming. Every week is the worst week on record. And the Republicans are also trying hard to deny it. Ouch. Yes, they are. No denial here. This is your Green News Report. OK, Desi Doyen, it seems the world is moving on without Donald Trump, as was apparent once again, at the G20 summit over the weekend.
1: <laughs> yes, the G20 turned into the G19 plus one. President Donald Trump further isolated the U.S. from its foreign allies at a meeting of the world's 20 largest economies in Hamburg, Germany over the weekend. The leader's final joint statement deepened the stark divide over climate change, formally noting Trump's decision to withdraw the United States from the landmark United Nations Paris climate agreement. But the other leaders called the agreement, quote, irreversible, and issue detailed policy blueprints on how their countries plan to meet their commitments to reduce emissions.
0: This is so embarrassing. It was not only a bunch of longtime U.S. allies like Britain, France, Germany, and so forth who were splitting with the U.S. here, but uh, also Russia, China, Saudi Arabia, all of those guys were all together. The U.S. was all by itself.
1: In a press conference, British Prime Minister Theresa May tried to leave the door open for President Trump. When I brought it up with him, what I did was encouraged him uh, to bring the United States back into the Paris Agreement. And I continue to hope that that is exactly what the United States will do. Good luck with that. But fears that Trump's recalcitrance might erode the Paris Agreement and give cover to oil exporting countries increased on Sunday when President Erdogan of Turkey announced that his country will not be ratifying the Paris Agreement, although some observers said that could be his attempt at leverage to receive more international energy transition funding. Here in the U.S., scientists have universally condemned Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt's announcement that he will launch what he calls a red team analysis to formally challenge mainstream climate science. The scientists said such critiques are already embedded in climate science, and they warn Pruitt is trying to bypass the peer review process and elevate climate science deniers in order to delay action on climate change. Well,
0: good. Let them challenge it, let them have their red team, blue team exercise. Make it public, and then we will see how the red team appears to be failing.
1: Pruitt also announced that red team shortly after meeting with coal baron Robert Murray, a Trump campaign contributor who is also suing comedian John Oliver of HBO <laughs> for defamation, claiming a segment that mocked him has been detrimental to his coal business. My.
0: God. God, this world is insane.
1: Meanwhile, extreme weather impacts escalate across the world. In Siberia, forest fires driven by extreme heat and high winds are said to be the worst in 10,000 years. Across the American West, another record heat wave with high winds sparked numerous fast-moving wildfires, including one near Santa Barbara, California, that trapped nearly 80 youth campers before they were safely evacuated. And parts of the Great Barrier Reef in Australia have now been officially declared are dead due to high ocean temperatures, and scientists say they are unlikely to regenerate. But some good news. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals rejected a Trump-EPA attempt to delay a rule for cutting methane emissions from new oil and gas wells, meaning that oil and gas companies will have to comply and reduce methane emissions on all new wells. But it's only a temporary victory for clean air. Administrator Pruitt is still trying to rewrite and weaken those rules. Swedish car maker Volvo Car Group is taking the plunge, announcing that starting in 2019, every model sold by Volvo will, at a minimum, be at least partly powered by an electric motor and battery system, whether hybrid or pure electric. And finally, a defiant California Governor Jerry Brown is charging ahead, announcing that his state will host a global climate summit on climate and environmental action in San Francisco in September 2018.
2: Yes, I know President Trump is trying to get out of the Paris Agreement, but he doesn't speak for the rest of America. We in California and states all across America believe it's time to act. It's time to join together, and that's why at this climate action summit, we're going to get it done. Go, Jerry
0: Brown. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyon. And this has been your Green News Report.
1: California.
0: Well, good news, sort of, I guess, kind of, uh, with Jerry Brown and <laughs> yes. that uh, Global Climate Summit uh, next year out here in California. Uh, and good news that those campers you mentioned got out, uh, those who were trapped, got out from that uh, wildfire up in Santa Barbara. But there's another part of that story yes. that we've learned about since. Yes,
1: sadly, it was an outdoor animal education center, and they were not able to free the animals in time, and all the animals died.
0: Thank you for ending today's show on an incredibly sad note, Desi you Doyen. Asked. I did. I know. Don't cry. Uh, we we fight on. Thank you very much, Desi Doyan, our producer. Also to my guest today, Teresa Lee of the ACLU, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. You can also please feel free to stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we do on your public airwaves every day of the week. And you can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Otherwise, find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad blog that's it until we meet again I'm Brad Friedman good luck world